0: Welcome, a listener, to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 129.5 of the podcast. That's right, it's the second part of last week's episode. We had over three hours of recorded audio. There was no way I was going to put all that into one episode, so split it into two. And this is the second part of that discussion, which uh, does touch on the subject of Shroud of the Avatar and the now cancelled physical book rewards for it but it starts actually with a discussion about the incorporation of multiplayer elements into single-player games things like Mass Effect Andromeda and whether this should even be done right and that leads to a discussion about the games as a service model whether it's more difficult to buy into a game later in its life cycle and whether a game later in its life cycle is even the same game as when it was launched while classic for example really uh, quite ably illustrates what we're getting on about in that section. Uh, We heap some praise on different examples of multiplayer though like Neverwinter Nights. And we talked a little bit about the initial promise of Shroud of the Avatar, the promise of essentially a modern mud with significant player agency and even player-contributed content. Talk about some examples of games that successfully included player-contributed content, UO, Star Wars Galaxies, things like that. And some ways in which Shroud of the Avatar really just did not deliver on some of the early promise in its lore and its implementation. Uh, The game we got today is a very different beast than the one a lot of us thought we would be getting a few years ago. Touch on the apparent bad blood between Richard Garriott and EA, and the question of whether the Ultima IP could ever be resurrected again. We ask if people are sick of diluted game experiences. We look at you know the popularity of games like the Dark Souls games, or Cuphead, Bloodborne, uh, Shadows Die Twice. We talk about the Blizzard boycott a little bit. Um, the uh, Hearthstone player Blitz Chung and his advocacy for Hong Kong independence. Uh, basically, the podcast is going to be banned in China from now on, and we talk a little bit about Chinese censorship as well. We talk about game censorship and how The Witcher 3 is surprisingly uncensored on the Nintendo Switch, the proliferation of the gaming market. So there's always something for everyone nowadays, you know, whereas once gaming was kind of the province of, you know, nerds who maybe didn't go outside all so much. now Nowadays, Pretty much everybody's a gamer, and there's a game for just about everybody. And we end talking about, of all things, Thanksgiving traditions, because we actually recorded this episode on the weekend of Canadian Thanksgiving. As always, of course, this episode of Spam 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 Humbug is brought to you by our Patreon backers. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and the Codex. By that means, you can do so yourself, by the way, patreon.com slash ultimacodex. And as always, a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Goldenflame, Chris, Brickbat, Dominic, Violation, Cranberry, Christopher, Bruce, Darkwraith, Hellgruff, Gronk, Pascal, and Thorwan. And of course, the podcast is now hosted on Anchor.fm, a new and much more social podcast hosting platform. You can find us at anchor.fm slash podcast or at spamspamspamhumbug.com. And if you're listening to us in the Anchor app, of course, you can leave us voice messages up to a minute in duration. You can give our episodes applause. You can like episodes or the podcast in its entirety. All right. Enough of all of that. Let's get on with the show.
1: Wow, oh, they did well. try to uh, to introduce multiplayer into single player game to with. Uh with the last instalments of, uh, of the Mass Effect series, which was <laughs> not really a success, I think.
2: Uh. Well, Andromeda was awesome. Uh, it's a shame that it didn't sell more. I think it ended up getting a wind of some technical glitches because, obviously, a triple A game. It's released ahead of schedule or ahead <laughs> of when it should have been released. Uh, but overall, Andromeda was fantastic. Um, uh, it's a shame it didn't sell more because a sequel to that would have been would have been great.
1: As a multiplayer or a single player?
2: <laughs> I don't I don't do any of that multiplayer stuff. For the yeah, because they're, I they're was very
1: I was quite disappointed by Andromeda. Uh, how to say that? Uh, uh, s- selling its uh, its uh, high tier version of the game being just uh, points to spend in the multiplayer cash up.
2: Well, that's because it sold so bad that they never came out with the single-player DLC they were supposed to.
1: Yeah, um, but, but no, uh, no version of the, of the HLT collector version of the game was to include any DLC for the game. The, the plan was to sell just points for the... I can't remember the, the name of the multiplayer for Andromeda, but it was just for that.
2: Yeah. And I, I usually ignore those pieces of it anyway because uh, that's the game as a service piece and it's so muddled in this me too syndrome uh, that uh, it's just not even interesting or worth playing mostly.
3: Nope. And that's something that saddened me because they actually put so much work into the multiplayer of that game to try to get people into it. You know, with leveling and progression for each different character you had, limited time uh, event. Dungeon sort of encounters just for the single, just for the multiplayer.
1: Yeah, but then they should have done a different game and not tag the end with Andromeda because I think it's it made it it made in the public eye um, a statement that they didn't want you to play the game for its solo content but rather for the for the multiplayer with the cash up. Yeah.
2: yeah, I don't I'm- know if they did it with. With that one, but a lot of times they would uh, actually have different developer teams, and actually, the multiplayer in a lot of cases is an actual different client than the actual single player games. Um, So, a lot of times they just decide to put another team because they have to tack multiplayer onto everything because we got to give them some reason to buy packs and loot boxes and other crap to continue playing.
3: Yeah, on that score, take a look at U4 or sorry, uh Assassin's Creed four. Is the single player and multiplayer content are completely different executables, completely different apps. And you have to choose whenever you're loading up to play it which one you want to play.
1: Yeah, but but that's, gr- that's great when they don't uh cross over too much. I kinda remember that for Mass Effect 3 there was uh some multiplayer content. Um uh, that, uh, right. that would be calculated in your uh, galactic readiness, I think. So right. if you didn't play that part of the game, you couldn't have that bonus in, you in in that score in the solo game. Well,
3: you could still get the best ending if you went through each and every game and copied over all of the save games and got the save game bonuses from each. You could still get the best ending. Yeah,
1: yeah but, but again, uh, tying it to the solo content, uh, it's wow. it doesn't give that message to people like, I, I don't care for PvP for, uh, for the sake of my life. I ha- it's not that I hate it, but I'm so bad at it that I don't want to yeah. play that kind of game in the MMO genre or any solo game. And so, I agree
3: with you, and I, I actually fully am on board with that. What bothered me the most about the Mass Effect wasn't so much the tying in of having to do PvP to get your readiness. was having to do PvP to get your readiness up and locking PvP behind a day one DLC that you had to pay for if you got the game used or second hand.
1: Yeah, but then again the DLCs and things like that uh been, been a problem with most of the games because you can get the, the day one with the free DLCs and then after that so when you get the game on secondary market, you have to pay. It's It's been an issue since they started doing DLCs. But well, well, that's, that's one of the reasons why I never bought Destiny in a used cash shop. I uh, preferred to buy it uh, when it was on sale, but better, better buying for your bucks.
2: Yeah, see, I'm the moron that, that paid like, you know, a hundred bucks for it with all the DLC and packs and that kind of crap. And they got me twice. <laughs> you know, at that point, you figure there's going to be that much uh, DLC made for it that it's kind of worth, you know, paying that that much to, to get it. I mean, it definitely is a discount when you buy it at once versus buying it individually over time. Um, but then when it's a game as a service and the game, it ends up being something completely different from the moment it launches. Um, you know, it, it becomes hard to... To buy in like that I mean once again I I paid a lot of money for Anthem too Um, and it's like you know that it was basically eight hours and I was done with it I had no reason to play it anymore Um, everything else was just grinding just to get new weapons or cool ways to look some way so it's like um, not worth playing at all and I don't know that they changed it all that much since I've started um, or since I got it so um, that's what this game of the service stuff. The, the game could end up being completely different, and it's it really has become stupid to uh, you know bet on it ahead. Um, I but really don't want to hear games as a service anymore. It's just a stupid term.
1: Yeah, but yeah. look, last summer they released WoW Classics, uh, and it's very interesting to see how much the game has changed between uh, then and now. And it's it's you can well. You can expect a game that has a very long shelf life to uh, to evolve. But to, to some points the game's very, very, very different now from then. Uh both in content-wise, of course, because it was almost what one year after the release of Original War. Yes. Uh but also in mechanisms. I mean, yes, you still play that Wario or that Warlock or that druid in the game, but the way it feeds, the way the, the character is built, the way it develops, the way you, you select your uh, your items, very different now from then, especially when you switch from Classics to BFA. And I think that sh- the, the game itself, as, as it was in Classics, couldn't have survived all that long without changing and evolving for the play- to, to, to keep the player base interested. And the same goes with the way they delivered uh, story content, because story content in Classic was very dry, very difficult to access. It was only walls of text. Uh, while they started doing more cinematics and trying to tell you the game in a different way. But again, it evolved to the point where you want to play and that's something maybe that happens with many of the more recent uh, online games. You start to playing them online as a solo player. And the thing is, you don't have that much influence, um, visual influence, on the world uh, itself in, in an MMO rather than in a solo player game. So when you, when you have very uh, important events that change the shape of, the, of a wall of a, or of a, of a city, you can't have that in most multiplayer online games. Right. Where they are. while you in, in a solo game like uh, any Dragon Age of the Ultimates you could have whole population killed or city raised.
3: That's actually something that happened in BFA.
1: Yeah, but it's uh, it's not it's not, it's not uh, executed the by, same way in multiplayer yeah.
4: as it is right. in single player.
1: Usually it's it's a, it's a patch content or, or an expansion pack like Cataclysms. <laughs> which will change the, the, the face of the, of the world. Right. While in a solo game, it's, it, the events maybe are scripted, yes, but um, it's usually player agency that of uh, that, uh, that the plot, not uh, the devs.
2: Yeah, that Again. was one thing that I liked uh, playing BioWare Neverwinter Nights on some of the multiplayer servers is because there would be this ongoing plot thread um, of different players. So uh, it was a closed set uh, of players. I think uh, when it was at its busiest, it had probably 30 or 40 active players. Um, And people would make characters and play them through and level them up and then retire them and then start another player. And even what they did before would end up resonating within the game as lore and things like that. Um, So it really felt real. Well,
3: you know what it sounds like we're all missing is the type of content, or we want an MMO with the sort of content updates and changes and RP-based mud. Yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's why I donated a lot of money to Soda.
3: Well, they did kind of promise that we would be having a major impact on the story for other people.
2: Yeah, and they even mentioned that, like, <laughs> PvP content, you know, that there would be routes that could be contested that, you know, you couldn't pass through. And uh, kind of what we got is those, like, gated areas that were, like, always dangerous, so you had to drop into them to pass through them, but it wasn't even, like, controlled by players or affected by players.
1: Um, uh, and they added a uh, by-perception lately, I think. Yep. Because well, it was I mean, boring. I can understand
2: that.
1: Yeah, it was boring having to run through the passes. Uh, and, well, <laughs> they charged so much for the teleportation from one end to the other. It was ridiculous.
3: I just suicide ran through.
1: Yeah.
4: yeah me me too. Between <laughs> like, areas within the continent.
2: I I very rarely involved in combat whatsoever. It was only when I had somebody with me that I would even, you know, fake it. Um but of course i played a wizard so i was very frail i could die very quick i couldn't use any weapons so i constantly had to watch my uh my spell casting abilities and make sure that you know everything was managed properly but uh for the I, most part i would run
3: i mostly played what i called a paladin you know i had some light life magic uh earth magic enough to uh buff my strength you know i did use of course the rock fist and the fire fist because well yeah, who ain't, or who's not gonna you know get off on punching somebody with a fist made of fire, anyhow. But most of what I did was either sword and board and chainmail, or dual wielding chainmail, usually weapons that I made myself.
4: Yeah. Uh, uh, topic on affecting the world thing. Drax and I were actually talking in the text chat here, and one of the recent games I just beat was Borderlands Three, and that entire game as you progress. All you're doing is creating cutscene to cutscene, of which you're there affecting the entire story. But once you see the cutscene, you disappear. You're meaningless. And the whole game just feels like you're just there to go from cutscene to cutscene to see every other character tell the story. But you're not there. You're not important, oh. even though you do every single ounce of the work.
3: To be fair, though, I don't mind the concept of playing an MMO solo. Because I've always been
1: a loner and an antisocial prick.
0: <laughs>
1: well, yeah. it's it's I I kind of remember the early days of the MMOs where you, EverQuest, starting with level five, you couldn't play that damn game without a group, unless you were uh,
3: a necromancer or a mage.
1: Yeah, but most of the time you had to, you had to find other players to play with. Quite true, uh, uh, and it's it slowly changed uh so you could uh they acknowledge that uh, you couldn't always be in a group for multiple reasons and started to deliver more and more content that you could do on yourself to the point where well some games like uh the old republic is considered uh, like a quarter free for over because you can have all that content for yourself most most of it without ever joining a group Uh, it's yeah, I, I don't know. In uh, some ways, I, I
4: kind of like that though. Like, our lives are so much different though than when we used to play some of those games. We had so much more time. We had a lot yes, more of our friends yeah. there in cognitive. Now we're all so busy with lives, family. For some of us, yes,
3: kids. But,
1: but a lot of but,
3: people don't have four hours to sit in Iron and four gilling LF2M UDRS.
1: Exactly. But then again, that's the reason why I prefer to play uh, non-online, non online, non non-multiplayer games. Yeah. That's why I <laughs>
4: play Borderlands instead of you know playing Overwatch and Final yeah. Fantasy XIV. Like, uh, I only have so
1: much time. Yeah. That's the reason why I was disappointed in Shadow of the Avatar, because mm-hmm. part of it, especially in the early case, was yeah, it's it's going to be a a non-online game with some online components, and it switched rather quickly to that. Yeah, but no, it's a retreat of Ultima Online because the community wants it, and no, I wasn't interested in it <laughs> at all. So I kept checking in to see if I could experience something like the solo part of these MMO games, but even that doesn't deliver <laughs> uh, on on well on an Easy format, yes. You, you can play Trod as a bit of a solo game, but it's it's not that fulfilling, I feel.
2: Yeah, what? there's really not that much content, and uh, there's not that feeling of advancement. The way the story is even represented is just kind of shallow. Uh, maybe there's something there, but just the, the text and stuff, there's not a lot of, I don't know, uh, variety <laughs> to the story that you're going through.
1: The, the incentive to do the story is not there in the game. I mean, yes, I understand that it was uh, a, a reaction to that uh, to that simplified content in, in most uh, multiplayer online games with not giving, uh, <laughs> uh, how to say that, uh, information about who wants to be uh, a quest giver or things like that. But it's, it works well in the concept. But in the execution, it's, it's boring. Uh, when every, every NPC has the same character skin and you have to uh, to decide which one is the good one to discuss with. Well, it doesn't help. Uh, yeah, I um, have
2: an NPC that I created somewhere in uh, what's the, the big city's name? Uh, it starts with area? an A. Oh, No, Adora. it starts Adorus. So yeah. I have an NPC there. I have no idea where it is. I've never seen it. Um, I know that it's there. Um, but fi- I can't find anything in that town. Usually, I'm happy if I can just get out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were some decisions that I uh, that I didn't understand, except to be, yeah, we want to uh, to look behind us rather than front forward. Uh, things like n- no map. W- what in a game in t- 2018 no, or 17?
3: They changed that.
1: Yeah, no, they we- added
3: a map quick.
1: Uh, no, please, no. Not please. a good one. Yeah.
3: Well, the thing is, the map they added was something they bought off a third-party dude. Yeah. Uh,
1: it takes uh, yeah, a yeah, it was, lot that of time was, to load.
2: Yeah, once again, a community member that makes something better than they do that the, they yeah. ended up but, having to buy to bring in.
1: Yeah, the, the idea about the maps that you have to collect is not bad. It's just... Uh, and it's been implemented so much better. Well, well, here, here, here's an easy way to
4: implement what they did, but yeah. in a better way. You have yeah. the map, which you can explore and fill in yourself. Yeah, it has all the uh, stuff. Uh, or you buy the map, or you collect the map, or find the map in some way, shape, or form, and it fills it in for you.
1: And and, and I want to be seen on the map as a dot, not uh, having the map. And and where am I on the map? Uh, it's yeah. Well, Ultima uh, has
3: actually done exactly what you're asking for, Klaus, in, uh, in Ultima 7. Or, and, you, and not Ultima 7, under Ultima Underworld.
1: Yeah, but before Ultima Inter- Underworld, there was a game that was called Black Crypt. I don't know if you were familiar with it. It was no. a dungeon-crawling game that uh, existed in heyday of the Amiga and the Atchery. And uh, that game had a, fi- had a had a spell but. Uh you had to cast to uh to, to create the map in the game, yeah, it was gimmicky, but if you wanted to to go away like that, you could have any other way rather than nothing <laughs> makes it wow uh, and having having a uh, one of the perks of being uh an early adopter of of soTA was i think the map atlas in which you could have all the maps <laughs> tucked in, yeah. So they didn't take that much space in your inventory. Wow! Wow! What what a progression! Now the the, the quality was there. The the ideas they had was to go something like maybe U nine, in which you had those, those nice uh, city maps. But wow! It doesn't work that way. And the map was very different uh, feeling. From from a solo game. I, I don't know.
2: Well, at least you can have <laughs> dance parties. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Again, there was some, some good content. They tried to have some some interesting... Uh, early on, there was was, was things with, uh, with uh, so many people coming from from other dimensions and, and that... that uh, strange technology creeping up in the game, being part of uh, having all these avatars being around. But it never was really followed up by anything. I don't know. Yeah,
2: there's a rich lore in the game.
1: Yeah, but
2: but it's like not represented in the game. Like no, the lore it... is all external.
1: And it's even in then,
2: the book. The, in, even,
1: yeah. even the lore of the book, I, I want. Won... <laughs>
3: I'm no, quite. We... Books and MMOs, you know, item books and MMOs, or the exception rather than the rule.
1: Yeah. But then again, um, it's, it's one of my main disappointments with the Avatar. I waited for a long time to, uh, to get my, my, my box, and yeah, I did get it. And then I opened it up, and wait, what? Nothing. There was nothing in that box that justified me expect to get it.
2: Um, yeah, my last when note I opened... was the book.
1: <laughs> yeah, was the fucking book. I mean, in, in any Ultima game. Hey, like one, this... one more
2: time, that fucking book.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, y- yeah, I'm quite happy with uh, with Lord British reminiscing on Ultima 3. Uh but I don't care. Uh, no, I really don't care. I wanted my law book in my in my box so I could read it and. And it is even worse because in games like Dragon Age or other modern games like Pillars of Eternity or Divine Divinity, you have you have lore content delivered in that in-game compendium. Yeah, it's 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 tied to some event or to to, to some objects you have to analyze, but you have it in the game, uh, so you don't have uh, that book in the in the, the release of the, of the game. And even then. They, they did do some very wonderful work uh, with that with those games, but not not in short. In short, you have nothing. You have you have nothing as, as a, like a compendium in the game, and you have nothing in the box or as a PDF. So you have to discover it yourself. Yes, but for what mean? I don't know. Discussing with other players.
3: Well. Uh, here's the thing that I remember that kind of quickly fell by the wayside. That was mentioned very heavily in all of the lore leading up to the game. Was yeah, you're an avatar, but don't tell anybody that. And there would be consequences if any of the NPCs figured out that you were an Outlander, that you were yeah, an avatar because of, because they still blame the moon blowing up on people like you.
2: And yet, everyone knew you were an avatar, or Outlander, or whatever. Like yeah. almost from the start. from the
1: get go, from the starting quest, you are you are you are pointed at as an Outlander and uh, as a potential savior of the of the world. Again,
2: yeah. And by the way, we're all taking your land away from you because we're all moving in in droves.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the things that bothered me f- to no end from the get go. It was the time we spent. Um, on housing. Um oh, they decided to have cities well completely shallow because of that. Uh,
2: well the one mechanic I enjoyed was being able to rename your vendors, because my <laughs> vendor is now called the book betrayer.
3: Oh.
2: And oh, okay. once I can ever get a blank book, I'm gonna write a story about Beast British that he's gonna be sold on my vendor.
1: <laughs> uh. Yeah, and, and again, uh, for a game that was uh, so tagged on, on nostalgia...
3: I will be asking you, it. my mother is asking for some attention.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I was surprised that you didn't go to retain very early on in the game uh, and meet anybody that was familiar. Because, well, it was, it was still a nostalgia-filled game.
2: Well, it definitely, you know, visually and operationally had a lot of uh, inspiration from uh, U9. Um, there was a lot in it with how it played and some of the mechanics that yeah. definitely once you started playing it, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember. It was like U9 without all the, the bugs that were written in that thing. Um, and smooth. You know, it played a lot better. Not as good as a modern game, but better than U9 did.
1: I, I don't know I, <laughs> one of the things I missed in, in Ultima 8 and Ultima 9 was the lack of portraits because with portraits they were able to, to transcend the limitation of strides and still have different NPCs going on so it was easier to, to distinguish that NPC from, from another Ultima 9 they had to have different character models completely uh, and very defined and we yeah, have as the same somebody that here. had
2: their picture as a character in Ultima, yes, I remorse that decision.
1: And newer games do that. Shadowrun Returns did that, and it worked well uh, with character portraits. And that's one of the reasons why I, f- I discussed this with a friend. Sometimes I wish that Ultima or Shroud or anybody had the ability to create a new game in that setting. But without the involvement of the old guard. Something new, maybe a reboot, if you will. Uh, I but I feel that it wouldn't work nowadays. There's too much of uh, of bad blood with, between players uh, and developers for that. And there's not too much attract- attractivity to reboot that, that game franchise, I think.
2: Yeah, I still think that EA, whatever happened between EA and Richard, kind of made them just just want to bury Ultima. And I don't think they have, they don't care about doing anything with that property just because I think that at some point they know Richard will probably bump his head up somewhere and say, hey, you know, that one thing, that kind of belonged to me. Um, you know, And they just don't even want to deal with them. They don't even want the phone call. Um, But that's what it feels like because that was a very popular series back in the day. And they could really end up, you know, creating a good game off that property.
1: I don't know because they still created that 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 shit of Lord of Ultima, uh, and they tried something new with Ultima further. So they they, they they have that willingness to uh, to try something, but I think that the old guard will will never ever let anything happen to Ultima. Oh. Last a uh, list of uh, of an ultima ten or something like that, and it's that's a shame the game's good, but the games series need to be rebooted because it can't continue like that you know, there's too much uh, for a new player to uh to 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 absorb and rebooting the game with modern sensibilities could be interesting, but i don't sh- i don't know how they would market it yeah. again least. Well, yeah, uh, I feel that if they, they should treat it as an IP rather than a, a game series by making something maybe different, maybe more interesting, maybe shorter. Uh
2: yeah, Worlds uh, of Ultima, just make them all different themed.
1: But in um, in, in in game uh experience, maybe not a role playing game, uh, maybe a dungeon crawling game, maybe some some action packet game. You you can you can build your universe without going full RPG style and having to de- to develop a full world itself. Create a world bible, if you will, but start developing small.
2: Yeah, in the end, I gave up any hope of there being a new Ultima after Ultima no. 10 got cancelled.
1: Well, I, I gave up Ultima with, with a release of or short of the Avatar because uh, I really high hopes for it to be that reboot that Ultima needed. But, well... It won't be. It's it's too much of derailed too much to be something anything beyond what strange thing it is now.
2: Yeah, and during the shame. Kickstarter there was a lot of hope that it would be that that ultimate game. Um they definitely talked it up. I think that out of the whole experience the, the most worth, worthwhile piece was kinda those beginning days, you know, communicating back and forth with the developers and, and people that you know, you never thought that you'd uh, see respond on video to comments that you've, you've made live.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and even working with the developers on the project, you know, was was, was enjoyable to a point. There was some negative elements there that uh, I didn't have control over. And, um, of course, the project never went live. But, um, you know, just being involved in the community and working on the different things was fun. It was just a shame that there wasn't anything at the end of the tunnel. It just... Kind of puttered out as fewer and fewer of the community were included in the discussions of, of how to move forward with the game.
1: At, at one point, and uh, it's been discussed to, uh, to, to 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 length before, but I feel that uh, the game lacked direction. Uh, lost it
3: was back t- welcome
1: back. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, as I said just before, the game lost direction and took too much from the community. It, it's good to have a community to back you up, but sometimes you have to have your own plans for the game and stick to it. Hey
2: Amen. Yeah. That's why I gave my money and I didn't even care if they ended up coming out with a game at all.
1: Anna, uh, I, I, gave, I,
2: I gave that money for them to actually make a piece of art created by artists.
1: Yeah, Not that's to have
2: something with community throwing it at the wall. Well, there's yeah. a lot of, of Kickstarters, though, that were, were true to the artistic form and, you know, held their their uh, community at bay. Um, you know, and some even had good communities that they were able to actually filter it. I mean, some of the Divinity stuff, Shadowrun, yeah. um, a lot of those did very well with the community. The Battletech one um, with Harebrain Studios, the way that they worked with the Battletech community, um, you know, there's good examples of that. It's these people just took stuff and tossed it on the wall and put it in usually so they could charge somebody extra for it.
3: As Um, a huge fan of Battletech in general and that game in specific, I can tell you there was a good bit of drama, not behind the scenes, very much in front of the scenes over two reasons. And they were dumb reasons. Usually are. One the lead, one of the lead developers, uh, Kiva, was a transgendered person, and a lot of people were like, We don't want that. And yes, they used that as a pronoun in this situation, which really bothered me. Yeah.
2: yeah, I remember uh, that. And
3: the fact that they added a choice of pronoun depend you know, completely independent of your character's look, and that offended some people to the point where they flooded the Steam review or Steam forums with concern trolling worried that the game was feature bloated.
2: Yeah, and Shadowrun had some issues too um, because they, uh, they had like DLC that they had promised as part of the Kickstarter and it turned out that they would make, sort of misspoke because the way that the Shadowrun license was distributed Microsoft still technically owned it. Um, so they didn't really have the rights to say that they could give people the uh, DLC. So it ended up being a thing where, like, you could only get it on Steam or something, um, and to, to get it on any other platform was a, a little bit of a struggle. And, and, you know, it comes down to admitting your mistakes. They just said, look, we're sorry, we didn't think of this, we didn't uh, understand that this was going to be a problem, and, you know, work to, to make a resolution for it, rather than never apologizing and just saying, oh, here's this, you know, uh, virtual thing that, you know, is definitely worth the same as a signed physical memorabilia that, you know, we promised you to begin with.
1: Yeah, but that, that's, again, a, a situation. I asked quite a time ago about the second book in the series of *A Blade of the Avatar, and <laughs> it will never materialize. It's, it's It's a shame because, again, we are losing some, some good content that could have helped build up some interest in the game. I still have the free game, the free books that were released for Ultima Online Two, that was <laughs> never game, and they were quite interesting. The Technocrat Wars. Uh, but again, it, it was a build up for the lore. Again, we'll never know.
3: I'm that weird well, person. I'm anti-social. I I like the way the game. Would is in mmos i like you know not seeing other people not necessarily interacting with them i like the way the reward system is set up in mmos compared to single player games
2: Yeah, when i play a multiplayer game i want kind of a uh, tight group uh, a lot of you know people that i know um that i'm playing with and uh having adversaries that uh, are random are totally fine but Playing with random people uh, really doesn't interest me because usually it's not very interesting. Uh, oh. When I was in Ultima Online in the early days, it really unnerved me uh, with people talking about Britney Spears and real-life stuff in the game. It bugged me. <laughs> and it in the beta, it happened a lot, um, where when you started getting a lot more normals into the game and you oh. would start hearing stuff about... Real life, and you're like, uh, you know, uh, RP. R, RP. Hey, shut up. RP. Were um, out Were you on RP
3: specific server?
2: Oh, back in the beta, there weren't. There weren't really individual servers. They were regional. Um, they were. Well, they weren't labeled.
3: My point is, were there rules about RP? Enforced RP?
2: There was not, but it was a. It was culturally the environment, starting from the alpha to the beta most of the people pretty much spoke in character um, and that's just how it was. But when they opened up the beta a little more and you started getting just people that had never played Ultima before and were getting in on this thing that they had heard about, um, that's when you started to get, you know, things that slipped in there. And I I tend to not like that. Most of the, uh, most of the Neverwinter Night servers I played on had a fairly strict uh, uh, in character rule. Um, and you even had designations for anything you said out of character. So that if you did say something out of character, it could be ignored and filtered out of the, yeah. of the main chat.
3: Speaking from experience, I can tell you now, you will never see that kind of environment on an MMO. Well, unless you are in a very, very insular community.
2: these days. Well, that's why I like smaller multiplayer environments rather than huge, big ones. You know, it's fine to go to a theme park, but, you know... I, I kind of like when I'm playing a game to get immersive.
3: Well, you know, I was
2: laughing when everyone was talking a while ago because uh, I, I play games all the time. <laughs> I have not stopped playing games. that's That's pretty much my core core thing, and uh, I will play for hours a day if uh, if allowed.
3: It's awful interesting that you mentioned the term theme park because you know this is something I you know I feel obligated to speak on. This is one thing that you see a lot of your old schoolers talking about is complaining about the theme park nature of of MMOs these days versus the quote-unquote sandbox version of things back in the uh, Ultima Online and EQ and Star Wars Galaxies days. Here's the thing, though. In my experience in those games, a lot of your content was player-created, which means for a lot of the case... There wasn't much that the devs actually made. Most of it was player work. And you can't really, these days, rely on that because people will complain that the game is wide open and empty and boring, and they wouldn't necessarily be wrong. I mean, who here has played Star Wars Galaxies back before the new game enhancements?
2: Galaxies required a monthly fee, so therefore um, I did not play it.
4: Yeah, I didn't really play it too much. It was pretty late, and it was only for like a month.
2: Well,
3: there is a reason I bring that up. One of the major complaints about Star Wars Galaxies from a lot of the fans who came from other MMOs like, say, EverQuest was that Star Wars Galaxies was a big, wide-open game world with very, very actual little to do. I mean, to the point... I'm actually trying to find... I'm actually trying to find a specific uh, uh, comic from one of the comics I used to read called uh, GU Comics. It was originally a EverQuest fan comic, which ended up being more. I am mean, Let me actually link this image real quick into uh, into screenshots. That a lot of their common complaints was that there was no content in Star Wars Galaxies. It is that it was whole wide worlds of nothing? Because people were expected to make cities. People were expected to, to make 90, 99% of the equipment in Star Wars Galaxies was player made. Not, you know, if you were getting heals in game, it was from another player. If your gear was getting repaired, it was by another player. If you were getting buffed, it was by another player. The only gear you got in that game that wasn't from another player was quest rewards. And there were so very few quests in that game, it wasn't funny.
2: Yeah, you can definitely tell influence from Ultima Online on that.
3: And yet, the game had a massive thriving community on every server. I mean, you had dancers in cantinas making money, shaking their butt for people because watching a dancer had a mechanical uh, benefit for you it cured your battle fatigue and it cured your mind wounds because I remember
2: there was a journalist that actually did a uh, thing where he basically set something on auto mode and ran from one place to another and basically the game played itself so he just like said go here and it played like over the weekend and he ended up getting to the place unscathed um, by not sitting at the keyboard.
3: Yeah, that was probably this guy because that's that's literally his next comic. Let me show you because I'm assuming y'all have looked in screenshots real quick. Yeah, there's the next one. I mean, however, the game was again very much community reliant, as in if you were going to do anything, you needed a support system of other players. I mean, if you were a combat player, you needed so a. Car- to know crafters to get to get equipment, so you could go out and fight. You needed to know doctors to heal your wounds, because the Star Wars Galaxies had a system where you had three pools: health, mind, and body. And different attacks could attack either your health pool, your mind pool, or your body pool. And over time, taking damage to a specific pool wounded that pool, lowering your max until you went and got healed. And as you fought, you built up something called battle fatigue. The higher your battle fatigue, the less effective wound healing and healing in general.
2: Yeah, a lot of games like that, I used to have a guy that called those Dig Dug Games.
3: <laughs> dig Dug Games?
2: <laughs> yeah, where basically you have a set number of skills and uh, it, you're basically managing. So usually it's like skill 1, 1, 1, 1, and then skill 2. So it kind of felt like you were pumping, 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 exploding, pumping, 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 exploding. Right. Uh, and, city of heroes and champions definitely had that dig dug feel to them
3: well i I did a lot of high end playing in star in city of heroes. I used to worry that I was part of the reason that a certain class got or a certain power set got nerfed but yeah, but if you were a medic a doctor, you needed to rely on crafters to make the or you could make your own med medkits, but you needed supplies to do so. And you could go out and scavenge them yourself, but if you weren't leveled up as a as a trade skiller, you were doing it very slowly and getting crappy supplies, so you needed to rely on professional crafters to get you your fixings to make your, make your drugs.
4: Isn't that something they wanted to do with soda, was to try to have that kind of an uh, economy, and it just kind of went...
3: Yep. I mean... People needed, there was also another class called smugglers, which while they had pistol buffs and they were good at, you know, fighting, their big thing was that they could break lock, uh locked chests. they could make drugs, you know, I'm talking like stim drugs, like spice and shit, not like doctor buffs or drugs. They could slice and illegally hack weapons to make them attack faster, have more defense at the cost that Imperial Guards might potentially try to confiscate it from you. But there was this wide support group but everybody needed the rest of the, of the chain. No matter where you were on there, you needed somebody. Well, even dancers or musicians shaking their ass still needed money from other players be, uh, to uh, train up their skills because you didn't make money, you didn't actually make credits doing anything but really doing combat missions
2: yeah i tend to prefer games that uh have a more of a more of content provided by artists in it i've never found any environment that has been uh user contributed for the most part to be as rich and entertaining as something that's more well thought out and put together
3: in oh, um, and, and
2: Neverwinter Nights, there were people that did their own storylines for their characters, and we used to always yeah. complain, oh, yeah, it's another demon baby, because it always seemed like there was somebody that had some storyline where they were pregnant and they had, you know, something coming, which you knew was probably leading to them having a new character come online in a few weeks. <laughs> um, well, so it was just always yeah. so boring and stupid.
3: You were talking about a game based in third edition, so Tieflings were a thing.
2: They, they were a playable character, yes.
3: So we're talking, uh, we're talking a version of D and D where special little half demon snowflakes were baked into the system.
2: Yeah, we had vampires on our server, too. Uh, uh, the best time was when we had, uh, we had half-ogres. Um, and I played one of those with a, uh, I had a high intelligence, which was sort of metagaming because I wanted improved expertise, which was pretty badass. Uh, but a very low wisdom. So I, I went around and RP'd that I couldn't talk, and I ate gold coins. Um, and eventually I got a, rewarded by the DMs that actually gave me an ogre skin, um, which was fantastic because it actually changed my size, too. So I was a large, which meant I could dual-wield great axes. So it was, it was fantastic.
3: And the funny thing is, is the whole reason they did the NGE was Star Wars Galaxies, and that's its own kettle of fish was because they were bleeding players in around 2005 because of other games coming out, like, say, WoW. So they changed the skill-based system for it in Star Wars Galaxy to a level treadmill, where you, rather than leveling boxes of brawler, you were, say, uh, or, or rifleman, you were just, say, st- starting out a commando, or a smuggler, or an officer, or a Jedi. And that pissed a lot of people off, given... That making Jedi the norm- the old way took about a six month grind. That's unlocking Jedi, not capping Jedi.
2: Well, in any Star Wars game, I think Jedi is a uh, contention uh, among the players. Because everyone can't be Jedi, right? Well, that's not much of a game unless that's the whole conceit.
3: Well, at least with Star Wars Galaxies, they make it balanced in that half the classes are Force users, but the other half keep up just the same. Yeah, you've got your laser sword, but that doesn't necessarily make you any better than the guy with uh, humping a hump and a minigun.
2: That's not very lore friendly.
3: Yeah, well, game balance is a thing. Mm, sometimes. And to be honest, the whole Jedi question was a big problem with pretty much any pen and paper Star Wars game that I played. You know, they were innately better, you know, XP spent per skill than in the West End games than pretty much any other class. I mean, they innately were better in uh, the D20 Star Wars than other classes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. See, in Neverwinter Nights, we always had a problem because uh, it was really hard on a hardcore server to play as a wizard because, you know, you always started out weak. But once you got to a certain level, you were almost godlike, um, especially there was a spell called time stop. Oh, that would just kill it because it stopped everyone but you. Um, and you could just waylay on people. Um, so one server, the way they handled it is they basically gated your levels. So at certain periods of the time, uh, when you leveled up, in order to go to the next level, you had to actually go to the wizard's tower and engage in some sort of exam or test. And some of them were just, you know, asking you how magic works. But then other times there would be a challenge that you had to go through either some kind of puzzle or some sort of battle scenario. So it kind of made it really hard to advance really high as a wizard without a certain amount of dedication to doing it.
3: Well, I never really liked magic in, to be honest, I, now that you're mentioning the Bioware never one nights, I remember that. I didn't like magic in it. Granted, I didn't use magic very much except for healing because I played
4: a bard. No, magic was fun in Neverwinter Nights. That was always my preferred route, which was very weird because I typically did not do magic when it came to doing actual tabletop. Yeah,
3: I had a dual-wheeled rapier bard.
4: There's something with the execution of Neverwinter Nights that allowed certain things to be a bit more fun on that than it was pen and paper. Well, you could
3: you could twink that game pretty heavily because I had a friend who played a bard, a dra- a red dragon disciple, who they had, uh, they they were the one that gave me the idea for dual wielding rapiers. They had keen rapiers, and they also had I forgot whatever talent it was that doubled your critical range. So pretty much, if they were hitting, it was a crit.
2: Oh, yeah, there were some dual builds that were insane, especially when you talk about the Dragon despite Disciple with uh, weapon expertise. That can get <laughs> really, no. really insane. Um, in fact, a lot of those, a lot of servers created uh, additional requirements you had to go through to get those, either requiring certain other character classes at a certain level before you could take them, um, or putting other sort of restrictions on... Uh, how their skills were. Um, Shadow dancers were another one that were insane. Uh, we once were uh, camping somewhere and there was a little halfling that would just pop out, attack us and disappear. We could never, never attack it. It took out four of us, all much higher level. Um, they had just gotten to the point where they got, uh, you know, hide in shadows or whatever that uh, advanced skill that they get, uh, hiding plain sight. And, Literally, we're all laying around, and all of a sudden, people start dying, and we don't know why. And then we just see this guy blinking in and out, and he just decimated the whole group. Shadow Dancer was banned. (laughs) We never stay on topic.
4: What
3: topic? I do honestly think, though, that a lot of the reason we're seeing the big push for WoW Classic are people are wanting old-school-style MMOs again because things just feel like there's no challenge these days.
2: Yeah, yeah, people are getting really sick of kind of the game way games are are being diluted. Um, I think people are wanting to once again buy a game and have an experience that they're not going to be nickeled and dimed about or uh, limited by some sort of time gate.
3: I, mean, I will admit that I play on and off a lot of FF14, but to me. I don't mind that the fact that the story in that is largely based on the single player, even though, it, even though it falls on the fallback of if everybody's the chosen one, then nobody is, because it's actually a very compelling story. Sure. And the, uh, the multiplayer, yeah, it is basically a matter of queue up and wait your time, which is less than a minute if you're a tank, which is why I'm a <laughs> gunbreaker. Anyhow. It's enjoyable. You know, it's it's low effort. I don't have to worry about dealing with the awkwardness of sitting in town, trying that I need so many people for this dungeon and waiting around. I If I need a dungeon instance completion, I can wait in queue and get it done and not have to deal with... You know, it's a boon for people who are socially awkward like I.
4: Yeah, but we also have all the great single player options now that kind of tie in with that difficulty thing. I mean, we had Dark Souls for a while there. We had Cuphead yeah, the Soulsborn games. games. Hashtag yeah.
3: get good.
4: The the, the cup the uh,
3: Cuphead Cuphead one.
4: game was so popular, and there were you know journalists who were all upset over the difficulty of it, but people were mocking them because it was like, no, this is what we want. And then of course we get. Sekiro shadows Die twice out and we get that same phenomenon repeating itself all over again. And what, what oh I so
2: me, wish I could play that game.
3: I know. What surprised me about Sekiro though was I was worried that because it was going to be largely more stealth based that your dark your soulsborne crowd would be upset at it for being not what they expected.
0: Well, but you can still have yeah. like grinding difficulty in a stealth based context. True.
2: Yeah, and I don't know how stealth-based it is. I mean, you can do some stealth things in it, but the combat is just very deliberate. And uh, in Dark Souls, you know, it's really different in that because in Dark Souls, you were really a lot more defensive. Um, It was more about being able to block and hit when you can hit. Um, In Sekiro, it's really you have to be aggressive if you are defensive, then you'll still have your fatigue meter go down and then not be able to block anymore. And in the meantime, the enemy uh, is uh, really sort of getting stronger based upon their number of hits. So it's kind of very difficult to get into if you're used to the prior games. Um, mm-hmm. And it's unforgiving. Uh, one one mistake, and, and you could be toast in a second.
4: Oh, yeah. One of my favorite streamers. Played all of Sekiro, and it was fascinating to kind of watch him learn and kind of change his style as he kept progressing through the game. And it's one of those things where I, I kind of sometimes wonder if they didn't take all the wonderful feedback and stuff that they learned from Dark Souls and say, like, you know what, we could do something that is so different, but still so similar, and get a completely different reaction that is just as amazing. Well, speaking of carefully measured aggression, that was something that uh,
3: Bloodborne was actually very good at. You couldn't play that game defensively. There was there was two shields in the game, and they really didn't do a blessed thing. You were, you know, you were the best way to take a hit was to not be there when it landed. Yeah, well,
0: that's true in real life too. So right,
3: yeah, you could level up and get more HP, but armor you couldn't level your armor and Bloodborne, like you could in Dark Souls. And in many cases, with the exception of certain stats, namely the ones that kept you from going batshit insane or getting poisoned, armor tended to be fairly cosmetic in Bloodborne.
0: Fair enough.
2: Well, and then one problem with Bloodborne is it doesn't exist because it was on PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: here's the thing, I'm great It you know, it's a free country, you're perfectly within your rights to be wrong.
2: No, it it just doesn't exist in my world because I don't have a PlayStation and never will.
0: Still, the point is taken that there, because immediately, like when we started talking about like you know the appeal of WoW Classic and sort of you know the appeal of that higher difficulty curve, not like
4: not rage queen type. Yeah. Well, curve, yeah, because like
0: immediately the Sol, like the Soulsborne games came to mind pretty much immediately as well to to me. But then again, you know, I was also thinking there is a limit though. Like you know, WoW Classic is a thing. But of course, it's interesting that in its day, like, you know, now we look back and we think of WoW Classic as, you know, being relatively unflinching. We talked about this last episode, I think, right? Like now we look back WoW Classic was like, you know, that was much more unflinching and, you know, it was harder and there was even more challenge. And of course, at the time, WoW Classic was, you know, very much um, the easy ride theme park. Variant of MMOs as compared to EverQuest, which was already getting theme parky compared to Ultima Online.
3: Yeah. Well, exactly. And
0: nobody is clamoring for a return. Well, no, the majority of people aren't clamoring for a return <laughs> to you know UO style unrestricted PvP. Yeah. And those but who even are, even classic, a small isn't audience as, and are niche games for them.
4: Even well, classic isn't as difficult as a lot of people think it is either like they're going back they're going you know what this actually wasn't all that hard
0: yeah but at the same time it's just you know like there's just there has been streamlining and simplification of of gameplay and of mechanics um in wow and just in gaming in general um you know that has taken place and it's interesting that we're starting to see not just i mean there's always been pushback but it's interesting that you know now we have blizzard scale
4: pushback yeah and the fact that Mark Kern and others got involved with the pushback, it's like, come on, just,
0: just well, give Kern's this. been Kern's been advocate, advocating for Classic for years, right? Oh, like, yeah. he's he's been on that train for years. And, like, you know, he's championed people who set up private servers to the limits of his ability to do so. Of course, Blizzard stomps on those on, like, say, UO Free Shards. Um but you know, still like he's been making the argument. It's just like, look, people are bending over backwards to recreate this experience.
3: Yeah. You
0: can keep you can keep cease and desisting them out of existence, but maybe you should take the hint that people are looking for this. You know, the fact that someone stands up um, a classic free shard, you know, a WoW classic free server, and thousands of people log into it. I don't know. Maybe take a hint. Maybe. I don't know.
3: Well, it's kind of sad that you mentioned Mark Kern, to be honest, because he's one of the ones leading the charge on boycotting Blizzard over what happened with Blitzchart.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, he's just, well, and he was beside himself when that happened, too. Like, his first tweets were like, this hurts so much. But Kern is he's Taiwanese, he grew up in Hong Kong, you know, so he's he has at a the same perspective. And he, he I mean, like, that whole thing is just it's messy. It's it's so damn messy. Like Blizzard handled it poorly, they did. Well, why even 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 if sorry. Like even and I mean like I read their most recent statement, uh, the the <laughs> one that uh, J Allen Brack just published. He's an Origin guy by the way.
3: I've got yeah. a rebut to that when you're done.
0: Yeah, he started at Origin. Um and like I think that in a lot of ways they're still more in the wrong than not. And they, but they acknowledge some areas for that. And then in other places they lean on, you know, their policies and they're just like, okay, like even he admitted that, you know, yes, he had kind of used this for a political platform and, you know, so we were within our rights to. And I'm just like, okay, well, I get that because the terms of services, but then we're having the debate about terms of service, aren't we? <laughs> and the, the, the nebulous wording of terms of service and the, what did you
4: actually agree to when you clicked? Okay. No. So. Like did Umbre actually really do anything with legal stuff or was it just hey, this is how you can do something.
3: Okay. Now, where was running I
0: never
2: did threaten legal action. Never did. Not
4: once.
0: Anyways, let's let Harmony say his bit, because I think this could go interesting.
3: Here's the funny thing. In that same J. Allen Brack post, he also said China was not a factor in their choosing to ban uh,
0: Blitzjump. Right, of course, bet, their official post on Sino Weibo suggests otherwise.
3: That's exactly what I was going to mention. Is their post on Weibo said that they were disgusted and incensed, and they At would the go offense to the and,
0: pride and, of the Chinese? Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. And I'm thinking, so which is it? One of those two has to be a lie.
4: Well, one thing Mark Kern brought up that was rather interesting is: is this really all that surprising, though? Like China is such a huge market. Can you really expect every game developer out there to be willing to give up that market? Possibly.
2: Yeah. Well, well it's I not mean, even, even the market. That... It. I mean, because you think of the how much money China uh, is tossing into the game uh, industry in the U.S. Just alone. I mean, there's several large companies. Look at Tencent. They own almost an equal share of, of Epic. Um, well, so they right. own not just The market. They own um, all yeah. Riot. They have five percent so, Right. Yep. So they, they have a lot of money out there. And a lot of that money goes into developing games that eventually make these companies money. So I don't think it's the market per se. I think it's access to that financing.
0: Now, well, I partly. and And I mean, like, to be fair, China has, you know, in the past, they've leaned on different companies that they have a significant financial stake in. Um, there's a few examples of like hotel chains, right. Where, you know, if you're trying to book something and you know, Oh, well, what's my location drop down? Oh yeah, sure. Taiwan. And there's a couple of cases. Marriott, I think was one of them, um, where, you know, China is just like, we well, can't call it Taiwan. <laughs> um, or if you do like, it has to be like, you know, Taiwan, China or something like that. Right. right. So, which is why on the blizzard
3: cast, where you're actually seeing where where Blitzschung said his, you know, freedom for Hong Kong, liberation of our or revolution of our age, it doesn't say live from Taiwan, it says live from Chinese Taipei.
0: Right. (sighs) Which,
2: ugh. There's a lot of ugh over there.
0: Just a little bit.
3: Because I remember China was actually doing a lot of pushback to the IOC for them even letting Taiwan compete.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they are going to do that at every turn, right? You know, they... They have a vested interest in in pushing their vision of uh their territorial holdings onto the rest of the world. Um, whether or not there's much truth to some of it.
3: Well, I'm reminded of a saying that my father used to use anytime I got a little bit too pushy arguing a point. He would tell me, You're not wrong, you're just an asshole.
0: <laughs> well, There's that. Although in the case of Taiwan, they are wrong. It is an independent nation. Oh, look, I just got the podcast
2: banned in China. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I think you guys were banned from last week's too. Yeah, well. Well,
3: to be honest, though, this is something I've said in my own Twitch streams when talking about the whole Chung situation, that Blizzard did the right choice for them. They made the logical choice, but something being logical doesn't necessarily make it moral.
0: For sure. Well, and that's the thing, like, you know, it's, <laughs> I think it's the distinction between, you know, sort of a, a more absolute kind of logic and an internal logic, right? right. Uh, I mean, something that is blindingly ignorant and wrong can still have its own solid internal logic.
4: It's mm-hmm. just, you know,
0: once it's exposed to the outside environment, eh, then it kind of falls apart. But,
2: yeah.
0: well, and I mean, like, I the, mean, I do reaction- give that. Uh, Oh, no, sorry. I was just thinking, like, the reaction of the Blizzard employees, right? Like, you know, papering over some of the company values, <laughs> that big statue. It's like, uh, this is like uh, Google kind of moving don't be evil to the footnote of their terms of service.
2: Yeah, the and I can understand right them, you know, you know, having the code of conduct and everything. And, I mean, that was, what my understanding is, that was a a sponsored or le- uh, official uh, Hearthstone event that, uh, sure, yeah. that was uh, done on. So, but I mean, coming out with taking all of his reward money away and banning for a year, which, you know, is really kind of a kiss of death if you're doing that professionally. And it's not like you can play Hearthstone in another tournament somewhere because they're all owned by Blizzard. Um, I think what they ended up coming to in the end with uh, letting him keep the money and then banning him for six months is probably more along the lines of what the reaction probably should have been at the beginning. Um, well, but I think they were at least they didn't they ban really it for worried. a thousand years, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, some people on the forums did, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, for putting Hong Kong in their usernames. Oh my gosh, Being
2: and that is that is so uh, Scientology uh, like the whole banning for a thousand years,
0: Being well,
3: you know. on ground in Wow Classic literally as we speak. I mean, I am running through uh, Under City right now, sure. Uh, people are a Afraid to even mention the protests or afraid to mention blitzchung Because they're afraid that if they mention it in public channels in the game, they'll get banned too.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I could see it. Uh which sucks, but you know, I I don't know. I, I honestly I think some of the best pushback that's come from this, you know, I mean, in addition to all the hell that Kern's been raising, I've enjoyed reading everything that he has put out. But um just, you know, things like um, using May as a, uh, you know, as a protest symbol, you know, trying to trying to get Overwatch banned in China because its characters keep popping up as, you know, symbols of the Hong Kong protests. Um, Someone mm-hmm. even suggested trying to use like some Star Wars characters or like Star Wars imagery to do the same.
3: Well, Winnie the Pooh's already banned over there because xi and Ping's got a there you ego.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. But just, you know, just just that kind of stuff, right? It's just like, okay, well, you know what? If they're going to do it, if that's how this is played, then guess what? That's how this is played. And they're going it's, to it's It's that, say, you know, it's, it's a typically gamer reaction, right? It, it's a pure gamer reaction. It's just like, oh, okay, I guess this is the boss fight. And that didn't work. So what do we try next? <laughs> I'm
3: actually proud of South Park, even though I haven't watched them in... Over 10 years for their response to China trying to muscle them to not saying shit. They oh, yeah. Did Didn't it. they
0: like apologize for like the fact that China's a totalitarian shithole?
3: <laughs> they did a whole episode about it that got, got them banned in China. But of course, part of it included Stan Mar, or no, Randy Marsh, who now is growing a pot farm, last I heard. Uh, As you do. Uh, you know, uh, him. And another character shouting, fuck the Chinese government, in those exact words. Yeah, well. <sighs> I think that was, you know, they that they knew that they weren't going there that they weren't going to, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's like, oh, we're already banned, so haha, all bets are off. Uh, that's
3: less burning their bridges and more uh, dropping a nuke and then salting the radioactive earth. Pretty much. Well,
2: that's those guys, though. South Park those these guys have been insulting people for quite a while now. They yeah. really don't care.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not that much of a surprise that they would double down, but still, it's nice to see. it in, in you know, in this context, but just yeah, I mean, just some of the reactions is like you know, all right, fine. If uh, if we <laughs> if that's how this is going to play out, then. Let's get, you know, this other lucrative property that belongs to Blizzard, also banned in China. And hey, while we're at it, let's do something with Disney, too, because screw them all. Uh,
3: Funny story. Apparently, this is something I've heard. I don't know if this is conspiracy theory bullshit or not. Who can tell these days? Say again? Who can tell these days? Well, post-law is a thing. Anyhow, this is something I heard that apparently due to the comics being banned in certain countries... That in Russia, Trigger is seen as straight or Tracer is seen as straight, as is,
0: Uh, and in China for that matter, actually.
3: Not surprising.
0: Yeah. No, they, uh, yeah, no, they've, um, yeah, there's a handful of countries where, yeah. um, And uh, what was the other example? There's one character in League of Legends who's canonically lesbian, but straight in certain markets. Oh. Name name lose me because I don't know LOL that well, but that's another example. Yeah,
4: they added so much stuff to it after I originally quit the game. And a lot of it just feels so tacked on, like it just doesn't fit. But
0: eh, fair Yeah, fair enough. But still, like, yeah, there's there's a few cases of that where um yeah, the uh I don't know what do we even have a term for that? It's not gender bending, it's like orientation bending. Um but mm. ah. you know, whatever. Certain markets, yes. Certain characters are, uh, are not as they are in other markets.
3: Well, this is kind of like what they did with, with uh, the Sailor Moon. How in the first dub for the original anime, they turned a couple of characters who were very much openly lesbian, and who were constantly holding hands or making goo-goo eyes and flirty comments with each other, turned them into
4: cousins. Yeah, Sailor Neptune and Uranus. And literally
3: you know, hammered it to death by having any time they were together have some
4: character mentioned but your cousins,
3: you can't or
4: you know, you, why, yeah, you yeah, yeah back on her, your cousins. Yeah, that was the English translation. But at the same time though, the market was very different in the US at the time. This is quite true.
2: Yeah, and a lot of those were uh, you know, on programming for very young children even. So oh, yeah. yeah,
0: like
4: uh, I think it was, it was Saturday, Saturday morning. Is, yeah. It know?
0: was primarily marketed as a kids' show here, so
2: Yeah. Yeah, And games had the same thing. They were seen as a kid's activity, which meant it was actually, you know, very difficult for games to come along and start getting mature. Um, You know, there were a few here and there, um, but only because games were obscure. When you thought about games mainstream, you know, Nintendo, of course, you know, all their stuff is considered toys rather than video games. So all their stuff is, is censored as well.
0: Why do you Except think now numbers? you can get The Witcher Three on Nintendo Switch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but I of, bet there's there. a. Uh... Go ahead.
3: Yeah, the very first Final Fantasy, you know, when they were first starting to bring JRPGs over, and they were so afraid they wouldn't catch on in a market where the Nintendo Entertainment System was sold to families and children, they market or they sold the first uh, Final Fantasy with a full walkthrough for half of the game a complete map of every single dungeon and item charts of where to get this and that and the other and very complete, detailed guides about every monster and its stats. And weakness, spawn points. Anyways, once.
0: Anyways, uh, and apparently, yeah, The Witcher 3 is um, uncensored on non-Switch.
2: Huh. I bet you there's an option, though. Well, maybe. Oh, certainly.
4: I'm not maybe buying the were... hidden <laughs> game.
2: Well, Nintendo kind of learned their lesson, right? When they came out with the Wii... Um, that was one of their, their main problems, is they couldn't get any of the, the normal games on it. So I remember that I had gotten a Wii for the kids, and I had gotten myself an Xbox, and uh, they were buying games, and literally in tears, playing these games, using their own allowance to buy these games, and them being nothing like it. I remember there was a Spider-Man game where the Wii version, although it was this, listed as the same game, had the same cover, was completely stupid and idiotic um, because they, they, they just wouldn't run it so it was a completely different game. So they, they kind of learned their lesson and uh, with the Switch they've definitely tried to uh, engage a more older audience as well.
3: Absolutely. They did an X-Men game that was just the same that was awful on Wii compared to the, well it was awful on other systems but it was a special grade of awful on the Wii.
2: That's wow. the version I had? Uh. Yeah watching my kids uh, Just cry playing this game Because they were so upset that they spent Their own money and it was so Lousy I ended up having to go out and buy Them an Xbox and I've just bought Two ever since There you go
3: That's how I got Mm. mom to not be so upset over my Gaming addiction I got her hooked On Dr. Mario (laughs) Now she Plays more video games uh, More hours a day than I do
0: I guess that's the nice thing about the proliferation of the gaming market is that, you know, we, we really are in an era of there's something for everybody.
4: <sighs> it still shocks me Yeah, it just means there's too much difference. for
0: me to play. Well, there's that too, right? Like, I want to play all the things. Actually, I can pretty much not play match three games and I'll be just fine. But oh, um, that's
3: the bulk of what my mother plays.
0: Yeah, well, you know. Um, and you know what? She is in the target audience and all power to her. I am not. And, and I'm fine with though. that. Well, I mean, come on. Well, oldies have been playing bingo. bingo since a long time before Facebook.
3: All <laughs> oh, true. Uh, All
4: right. I'm going to head out. It is well after midnight. <laughs> I need yeah. sleep. I'm usually but up. Should... in
0: less than three hours. So I should get to bed too. My son kept me up for just a terrible amount of time last night. I just, yeah, you know, late it's too, so weird being the buddy. Yeah. It
4: happens. Like, why should I sleep? I can hang out with my dad. Yeah, or we could sleep. Sleep is good, too, son. <laughs> well, oh, remember, great. we all used to be kind of that way when we were kids. And now, you know, when it comes to the naps, we're just like, oh, God, I could love. Yeah. Nice did
2: <laughs> Why did I fight sleep?
3: Why did
0: I fight sleep? Mine are you all know?
2: adults? So they you don't even want sleep. to see me.
0: Ah, there you go. Maybe one day.
4: All right. I will see you guys, I guess, later today, technically.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I and, will, uh, Hey, and happy proper Thanksgiving, y'all.
4: Yeah, you too. <laughs>
3: well, it's Canadian Thanksgiving, so it's like two-thirds of American Thanksgiving.
4: Close enough. Canada's not that many hours away from here, so...
0: Hey, I'm it's- just saying, we're not double-stacking the days off in November. <laughs> <laughs> well... I've already had one turkey dinner. Number two is lined up tomorrow.
3: You have Thanksgiving for two days?
0: <clears throat> uh, Well... My wife's family did it on Saturday, and actually we were supposed to have one today with like her sisters, but then the sister who was organizing it got really sick, so it got canceled. So it would have been three days, but two is fine. Two is fine. Well, with my
3: mother and I, even that we live alone, well, together, she's turning 75 on Thursday, so she kind of needs somebody to live with her to make sure that she can get a lot of the things she can't do for herself done. For sure. Or in a few grumbling cases, what she won't do for herself done, But that's a beside the point. Anyway, uh, we will for Thanksgiving often get a, you know, the smallest bird they have in the store, like a 10-pounder. Sure. And it will still last us four or five days, and we'll still have some meat left over that we'll save for months down the road, put in the deep freeze, because by that point, we're sick and tired of turkey.
0: Yeah, or you can save the carcass, make soup, something.
3: Right, because it's like we'll have the full spread the first night. You know the with the the turkey and maybe uh, stuffing and mashed potatoes the second night, and then the next day it will probably be hot sandwiches and soup. After that,
0: for sure, like to do. I that. used I used to work at a restaurant called the White Spot, um, very popular restaurant chain in British Columbia. They tried to do an Alberta invasion and it kind of flopped, but uh, it's a failure to understand your target market. But one of the dishes that they have is a turkey dinner and they've kept it on the menu for like decades now and it's never particularly popular you know like in a typical evening i might make one or two of them but it was not the thing that i was sending out consistently um but around this time of year around easter around christmas Proved to be actually really quite popular for like people actually, you know, in like your circumstance, so maybe like an elderly couple would come in and they don't want to cook a full turkey dinner for themselves. But you know what here, we have a plate that is basically the turkey dinner experience. Come on over. Um, Or, you know, single elderly person with, you know, a younger child or or someone um, coming in. Same thing, right? You know, just around this time of year, uh, working in the white spot kitchen, getting lots of orders for two turkey dinners three turkey dinners and i mean in a way that's you know kind of cool like it was kind of cool that the restaurant recognized that that was like a little niche that it could fill um and it put it out there and people availed themselves of it because you know you know you're right like a 10 pound bird that'll last two people a hell of a long time and some people don't want to actually go through that full effort of just like we'll get a bird roasted put all the trimmings together it's just like you know we can just go to that place and you know, just get like a plate and it's the turkey dinner and we can wow. have our turkey dinner and uh, then we're done. <laughs> and we don't have turkey for four more days.
3: A couple so. of years, what we actually did was we got the butcher at the grocery store to cut the bird in half. We'd have, you know, again, we put one half in the beet freeze, have oh, you yeah. know, cook the other half and take the other one for Tristana on Kwanzaa.
0: Yeah, well, and especially because your Thanksgiving is end of November, so you're literally like, you know, just oh yeah, half a bird now, half a bird in a month, right. done. That would work. But okay,
3: it used to be when it was my sister and her ex wife around, we do the full spread every year, you know, for you know Thanksgiving and Christmas when, and with my ex sister in law eating like I do, which is to say like a horse,
0: mm-hmm. bring it.
3: We. Went through, you know, the same time it would take us to go through the turkey. Now we would go through a turkey, several pies, you know, mountains <laughs> of stuffing. Well, dressing. I'm sorry, stuffing is evil. You can't get you can't get wet bread and a bird hot enough to kill off
0: all the bacteria. I'm sorry. I I prefer dressing. Right. I can do more with the seasonings.
3: Quite. And that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's a problem I've always had with stuffing, is if you put it in the bird, it doesn't taste like spices and stuffing. It tastes like bird. Yeah. Given celery the salt.
0: I've, right. I've discovered celery salt is like the key to get the stuffing flavor.
3: We used to joke that my aunt would put lethal amounts of sage into her dressing.
4: Hmm.
0: Well, a little bit's all right on a bird. Like, that's part of a, sort of the standard poultry seasoning blend. All right.
3: Yeah, you know, I've listened to Scarborough Fair as well. I've actually performed it in high school choral uh, chorus one time. That's there you go. Story. Anyhow, uh, I forgot what it was. I think it was I learned that from Alton Brown. I could be wrong. Hmm. he used to have a motto: "Stuffing is evil," because he said it was unsafe to eat because you couldn't get the hot enough to kill the or to kill off the bacteria from the bird.
0: Gotcha. Well, I will say this. We are bringing the uh, pumpkin pies tomorrow night to my folks' place. Oh, oh yeah. My wife makes a Well, and uh, especially because like my one daughter and my son um, are dairy free. Mm -hmm. Um, She has made, I think we have three pumpkin pies. We have like a traditional pumpkin pie and then we have a dairy free pumpkin pie. And then also they made way too much of the dairy free filling. So they made a bunch of pumpkin tarts as well. And I think the pumpkin tarts were in a gluten-free shell, but don't quote me on that I don't know we can we can cater to just about any dietary requirement um but it's uh, she's done this for a few years now and the first year it uh, it nearly it nearly landed my folks in divorce court now, the first year she brought pumpkin pie because mom had made pumpkin pie too. And dad didn't even touch it. <laughs> he ate half of it. Oh, you have to coordinate
2: life. that. You, you can't just bring pie. That has to be communicated. Yeah, well, we
0: we failed on that front. But yeah, my dad ate like half the pie that my wife made and didn't even touch the one that his own wife made. And it was just like, okay, well, <laughs> time to go. See you later. One
3: thing to understand about my mother, for most of my uh, childhood life, she was the head cook slash assistant manager for the local family restaurant where we yeah, lived. Yeah, you mentioned
0: you know I remember you saying that.
3: And she one of her signature things were pies. Usually like uh lemon meringue pies or coconut cream pies were like one of her signature things.
0: Can you even have a family restaurant in the south without a coconut cream pie?
2: Well Or lemon meringue. You gotta have a lemon meringue for that matter. Yeah.
0: All right.
3: Well, the funny part was was somebody had a slice of her pie. Dad worked at the time in the ambulance office right next to him. He was an EMT. Right, and they were literally attached to the same building. This, this town was that small.
0: As you do. Airport Hair Care and Tire Center. Huh. What was that from, anyway? That's a Ron White, uh, Ron White sketch. He was talking about flying out of you know some small little town. He's like, I took off from the Airport Hair Care and Tire Center. Okay. But as no. you do. Anyways, go on. Um,
3: a man actually proposed to mom <laughs> uh, for her, you know, over her coconut cream pie in front of dad. Knowing
0: better. Well, it's a good thing the EMT shop was right there.
3: Oh, yeah, but dad was one of the
0: EMTs. Look, just because he puts a guy on the floor doesn't mean he can't resuscitate him afterwards.
3: Oh, well, that you know, add an apology, and that would be probably one of the most quintessentially Canadian things I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> what, more than a moose in the Tim Hortons drive-thru?
3: Yeah, that's the thing is I see a moose, I don't think Tim Horton, I don't think Canada. Uh, I think uh, that one old TV show, Northern Exposure.
0: Fair enough. Anyways, I should get to bed. Um, Same so, here. Um, yes, let's all let's all go to bed. Bed sounds good, except Klaus. Klaus has to go to work.
3: Uh, I'll probably still be up for another couple hours, running
0: around, trying to figure out what I want
3: to do next in World of Warcraft.
0: classic. Well, have fun with that. It's a funny thing,
3: is I'm actually breaking in my usual habit because I normally play tanky, plate wearing, big, imposing characters, and now I'm actually playing somebody who sneaks around and stabs people on the back.
0: Nice. Very nice. And I'm finding it immensely satisfying. Well, why wouldn't it be, really? True, true.
2: Alright. Night, everybody. Night. Good night.
0: If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email at ultimacodex at gmail.com, or if you're feeling a bit braver, you can leave us a voice message in one of three places, the podcast website, our Facebook page, or on anchor.fm. You're also welcome to join us on Discord to chat with us, and to lurk or contribute to podcast recordings when they happen. If you want to join the Ultimate Dragons, you can do so at UDIC.org, where you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultimate Dragons on Facebook and on Google+. You can follow at Ultimate Dragons on Twitter or join them on Slack or Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live for everyone else. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio on occasion and possibly other interesting content. But if a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can always buy your video games at GOG. We are a partner of that fine site, and every time you buy one or more games at GOG via the links on our websites or in the show notes, that helps us out. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam, 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at Spam, Spam, spam Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous.